Well, hello everybody and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. As many of you know, probably most of you if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, I have the privilege of being involved in the Reformed Evangelical Seminary, which is a new initiative designed, among other things, to train the next generation of pastors for the CREC, the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, our very own denomination, and of course uh, any other denominations that are fortunate enough, we hope, fortunate enough to uh, snare one of our graduates. We are beginning classes, uh, well by the time you listen to this, it will be this week. Uh, as I record this, it is Saturday the 2nd of September and we launch our classes on the 5th of September. Uh, no, 5th, 4th September, Monday the 4th of September. Uh, I have the 5th in my mind because that's the day of the first class I'm giving. But anyway, be that as it may, uh, yesterday evening, Friday evening, we did what uh, almost every formal academic institution will do at the start of the academic year. We held our convocation, which is like, I guess, the launch of the seminary for the year. And it was a little different from normal because uh, our students are distributed geographically, not only all over the US. We had one gentleman... Uh, uh, dialing in from Albania, which is just wonderful already to be reaching and being able to serve people uh, in or preparing for pastoral ministry in such far-flung parts of the world, far away from where I am, at least here in Fort Worth in Texas. Uh, and so we had uh, a presentation from our president, Roy Atwood. We had um, uh, uh, short presentations from other members of the board, Timothy Atwood and Bo Cogbill. Timothy is one of the elders at Trinity Reformed Church in Moscow, Idaho. Uh, Bo is the pastor of Reformation Covenant Church in Oregon City, another CREC church. We had um, uh, prayers and scripture readings from other board members, including Pastor Rob Hadding down in Sulphur, Louisiana, another board member in that uh, presiding minister of our council, Virgil Hurt, who is another board member. So it was great. And uh, Randy Booth, Pastor Randy Booth gave uh, letters in prayer at the end. So it was just a wonderful time. And we got to meet the students. Uh, for the first time, I knew many of the students personally already, but not all of them. And it was just great to kind of uh, hear them introduce themselves. And um, as a, a teacher and a faculty member, as well as a board member, be, be able to sort of think through uh, with them what they're looking forward to doing. And it's even more exciting now as I think about the prospect of helping them prepare to do so. Uh, I had the privilege during the convocation of giving a homily. I was asked to give a, a short scriptural talk, uh, exposition and exhortation. Uh, to set the students on their way, and so well, that's what I did. I uh, said a few words from Psalm 101, and I thought it might be uh, interesting and perhaps helpful for uh, you guys to hear what I said. I, I sometimes think that we should do more of this, and by this, what I mean is uh, showing to uh, members of our congregations what it is that our ministers do and think about how we talk to each other, how we seek to exhort one another. And so many of the things that I say in the exhortation, uh, the homily on Psalm 101, uh, won't be directly relevant to most of the listeners to this podcast, because I suspect most of the listeners to this podcast, are, uh, this podcast are not themselves ministers. So they won't be directly relevant uh, in that personal sense. But I hope it will be relevant in other senses. First, just because, uh, well, the title of the talk was The Faithful Minister. And in different ways, all of us are lowercase m ministers, even if we're not uppercase m ministers in the sense of being pastors formally ordained and responsible for a congregation. So I hope that insofar as you are uh, serving others, whether your children or your uh, spouse or friends in your congregation, and you should certainly be 
having in mind the responsibility of doing some of that at least whether at whatever station of life you're in i hope it will be helpful for you just to think through the responsibilities of that task and i also hope that it may give you a little bit of an insight into what we expect and uh, are certainly going to be encouraging the students at the reformed evangelical evangelical seminary to aspire to uh, and so perhaps you might find it interesting for that reason too i have to say i find it pretty daunting every time I speak to uh, ministers, younger ministers um, and prospective ministers, ministers in training because uh, I'm reminded again about of the uh, extremely daunting calling that we have. All of us in different ways have demanding callings but I guess personally I feel the weight of this one because it's the one I'm in uh, and also for other reasons which I think may become apparent uh, if it's not obvious to you during the talk. So I hope you enjoy it. It's 15 or 20 minutes long, uh, exposition of Psalm 101 entitled The Faithful Minister. And good evening, everybody. It's great to see you. And uh, yeah, I just want to reciprocate um, to you, uh, Dr. Atwood, my uh, gratitude to, to you for your labors. Uh, it won't have uh, escaped anybody's notice the degree to which the seminary's progress thus far has relied on your experience of academic administration and a whole bunch of other things besides so um, we are all very grateful for your work I'm haunted occasionally by things I've heard men who have been experienced ministers for many decades say uh, one such saying that occasionally keeps me awake at night uh, was from Dr. Rob Rabin, Pastor Rabin who retired just a couple of years ago, I believe, Pacific Northwest, PCA minister, if I'm understanding rightly. He gave some lectures on the Christian ministry. And he said during those lectures, and I think this is more or less an exact quote, no congregation will ever rise above the spiritual maturity of its pastor. And at the time I frowned, and I guess I found that somewhat troubling, um, I, obviously he doesn't mean that as a kind of absolute analytic or mathematical statement uh, we all know of tragic situations where pastors have gone terribly off the rails and um, the congregations have not um, and so clearly it's not some kind of um, cast iron uh, law perhaps it's better understood in the category of wisdom uh, it's certainly wisdom that's reflected in what Jesus says when Jesus says no disciple is, is above his teacher. In fact, when a disciple is fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. Perhaps those of us who are pastors might take solace in the fact that Jesus and his spirit are our congregation's teachers. But at the same time, we face the raw practical reality that in the end, those who have the privilege of being called to pastoral ministry are to a very great extent the models for them those whom they pastor and it is a frightening um, prospect and it as I was thinking about this evening wondering what to talk about and and where to turn it, it was that thought that was in my mind and I was reminded of what Timothy said earlier about the mission of the reformed evangelical seminary we are here among other things our primary mission is to assist the church to equip pastors and church leaders for the Lord for the church for the world and the what was that quote Timothy the um the, I've never heard that the Great Commission is overstaffed. <laughs> what a great way of putting it. Like the, the, the need is great. Um, 
And whether it is as most of our students will be, men preparing for pastoral ministry, or as some will be, um, men and women who are not preparing for that specifically, but have lowercase m ministries that they want to be better equipped for, the task remains weighty, and we can't expect those whom we shepherd to rise far above where we take them. Now, there are many places in Scripture I wondered about turning for this, obviously the pastorals or Jesus teaching to his disciples or uh, the book of Acts. I've just started a sermon series on the book of Acts. I was sorely tempted to take you there, but I was on vacation recently and I was reading through the Psalms and I got to Psalm 101. So I spotted something in here that I wanted to share with you and I actually emailed Dr. Outwood and said, hey, is it possible to change my passage of scripture for this um, uh, address at the convocation and he said just about because um, my attention was grabbed by um, Psalm 101 verse 6 particularly um, where um, well th this is a Psalm of David um, as you can see from the superscription Psalm 101 um, and David begins by setting out his aspirations it seems to me i will sing of steadfast love and justice to you O lord i will make music i'll ponder the way that is blameless and so on i'll walk with integrity of heart i won't set before my eyes anything worthless perverse heart shall be far from me so here's david the king um setting out before the lord what he aspires to do and to be but then you have this strange twist in verse six at the end of verse six when he says and i quote verse six b he who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. And I thought, what on earth is he talking about? And of course, the word there translated minister is found um, throughout uh, the Torah, the first five books. It's in Exodus 30 and elsewhere, describing the priestly and Levitical ministry of those who serve in the house of the living God. And it seems here that what David has in mind is, well, in the first half of the psalm, he is setting out his aspirations to grow and remain faithful as a man of God. And in parts of the second half of the psalm, especially verses 6 and 7, he's talking about the qualifications for his chaplains, those who will minister to him. Just look at the end of verse 6. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. I take that, I think, and I'm not alone in this as far as I can make out, to be a description of the kind of man that David wants as his teacher. Who's going to minister to King David? And this psalm sets out the qualifications for that. And it's very striking, as you would have noticed from the reading earlier from 2 Timothy, and from what you know of the qualifications for pastoral ministry elsewhere in Scripture. Yes, of course, there is a focus on learning. We are here as a seminary to teach you guys uh, the ways of the lord to teach you the scriptures to teach you theology and ethics and greek and hebrew and all that stuff but at the end there is this extraordinary and weighty emphasis on the godliness of the the man who is called to christian ministry and this psalm calls attention to some features of that that i want to set before you um, just a couple of other points briefly i mean the, the first thing you'll know obviously uh, as, as a psalm of David, well, like all the psalms, there's that trick question that you may get asked in your ordination exam on that day when you, if, if you should get to take that path, you, you'll be asked some version of the question, which of the psalms is messianic? And of course, the answer is all of them, because all of the psalms, like all of the scriptures, speak of Christ. And so when we have here David's aspirations to minister, 
to to holiness and uh, who's going to minister in his house what their qualifications should be we also have a picture of the perfection that Christ the greater King David actually achieved and that which Christ's under shepherds his pastors must aspire to but I was also struck it's intriguing if you just look in the Psalms this comes after Psalm 100 and we're supposed to pay attention to what comes before and after in the playlist, aren't we? Because the Psalms aren't just sort of isolated chunks of um, liturgical hymnody. Um, Psalm 100 is the, the song for giving thanks for God's covenant love, his chesed, that he's shown to the family of God and throughout all the earth. And it's an exhortation to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Come and join with all the earth as people from every nation under heaven come together to worship the living God, to celebrate his steadfast love that endures forever and his faithfulness that endures to all generations. How could we possibly ever be a part of that? The answer is found in Psalm 101. We need a godly king. Well, check, we've got that. And now what we need is godly ministers to minister in his house. And I want to call attention just in the last few minutes that I talk to you this evening uh, to a couple of details in fact it's easier for me to do so if I if I share my screen with you because it won't surprise you to know that um, this psalm like many other psalms has a, um, a chiastic structure can you see the screen share I've just uh, shared with you I've, I've set up the structure of Psalm 101 in such a way that you should be able to see quite readily the correspondence between the first section I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord, I will make music. Can you all see that? Somebody wave or raise a thumb or something if you can. Well, look, you can see the chiastic structure in outline, can't you? Lord at the beginning, Lord at the end. My house in orange, my house in orange. Um, cling to me and minister to me in green. In purple, a perverse heart. And then again, an arrogant heart. You can see the structure of the psalm very, very clearly. And of course, it's very illuminating to observe what we learn from the correspondences. These structures are not merely aesthetic in nature, though they are. I mean, this is just spectacularly beautiful poetry. But they are also didactic and hortatory. They, they have something to teach us. So consider, for example, um, the correspondence between the first and the last elements of this psalm. Uh, in the beginning, uh, I will sing, says the psalmist, at the beginning of his song. And it's striking, isn't it, that the final verse, which seems to correspond to it, is about the cutting off of all evildoers from the city of the Lord. Perhaps that reflects the biblical uh, idea that the psalms are war songs. As we sing of steadfast love and justice, we're calling upon the the Prince of Peace to go to war on our behalf and the, thereby to cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Or notice again the um, uh, uh, correspondence between the, well at least the thematic elements in the, the pale blue verse 2a and verse 7b. Um, the the righteous king ponders the way that is blameless. King David aspired to that. King Jesus has accomplished that. All the thoughts of his heart are perfectly righteous, blameless. And he longs for and now has 
perfect communion with God, his Father, according to his humanity as he's ascended uh, and seated at the right hand of God. When will you come to me? Well, that prayer has been answered. And so what kind of man is fit to minister to such a king whose thoughts are always and only blameless? Verse 7b, no one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. So God the Father sits enthroned with the Son at his right hand. Who are the men who may stand before their eyes and then stand before their congregations and speak the word of the living God and assure the congregations whom they serve of the forgiveness of the living God? No one who utters lies may stand there. And those similar themes of integrity and godliness continue later um, in, uh, as we move towards the center of the chiasm. Uh, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house, says the king, in orange. I know he didn't write it in orange. You know what I mean. And so what's, who will dwell in the house of the Lord? Well, he who has pure hands and an, and an upright heart. Well, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. It is striking the, the emphasis on um, speech, truthfulness of speech and the heart that lies behind it no one who practices deceit may dwell in my house again you have a similar sort of correspondence that's um, uh, emphasized in a slightly different way in verses 3 and 6 let me read verse 3 to you and you'll spot um, uh, a significant term that I've highlighted just in um, in bold at the end of the verse I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. And the word translated cling is the familiar uh, verb. It's used in um, Genesis 2. It's the verb davak. It means to cleave. It's what husbands and wives do in marriage. And it's used not just to describe the marriage between a man and a woman, but also the Lord's relationship with his people. They're there to cleave to him in love. And so that's the, the covenant commitment of the people of God to their king. And it corresponds with the remarkable grace of this king, verse 6. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. Wouldn't that be wonderful if the end of your life's ministry, perhaps you'll work your way through the Reformed Evangelical Seminary over the next three, four years, finish off the education that some of you have already begun you'll pass your ordination exams you'll get a call to a little church somewhere and it'll start little and if it's the CREC's current progress is anything to go by it'll seem to be bursting at the seams and and uh, you'll be planting a couple of churches and you'll minister there for 20 years 30 years 40 years um, and the testimony of the people to whom you ministered is the Lord looked with favor on us The Lord Jesus looked with favor on us. We grew in faithfulness. We dwelled with the living God. Because there was a man who stood at the front of our church every Sunday morning. And he walked in the way that is blameless as he ministered the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the testimony of the people of God to you? About you. At the end of your days. Of course, there's the, the flip side of that, and it won't have escaped your notice, the, the bitter 
and dangerous warning at the center of the, the psalm. Let me just conclude with this. Um, the two purple sections and the really striking warning uh, at the beginning of verse 5, which looks like it's right at the center of the psalm. The Bible does not shy away from the the harsh corollaries of promises of grace, does it? Um, the Lord is honest with us. Uh, he promises infinite blessing to those who walk in faithfulness with him. But he says also, verse 4, A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I don't want to close this um, a brief talk on a, a, a negative note. I, I want it to be a... <laughs> I'd like it to be something that um, fixes your attention on something significant. But I don't see that I have any um, option here other than to reflect what's in the text in front of me. Perhaps this is a warning to any who might be tempted by the uh, opportunity for uh, personal advancement through petty politicking and backbiting and gossip and slander. Uh, the king says, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. I pray that that warning would forever put an end to all temptation to ungodly politicking not just among us but in our denomination and perhaps god be praised in the wider church wouldn't that be a blessing if if one of the things that happened as a result of the founding of the reformed evangelical seminary is we had a, a new generation of men entering the pastorate who wanted nothing to do with politics <laughs> that kind of politics because they knew that if they ever slandered their neighbor secretly jesus would destroy them May that not be true of us, brothers. May we be those who walk with Christ in the way of blamelessness, ministering to him and ministering to his people, dwelling in his house all the days of our life and bringing great blessing to those whom we have the privilege of serving. That's my prayer for you. And perhaps we might pray that now together. Let's pray together. Merciful Father, we ask for ourselves that you would spare us from the conduct that would lead us to inherit the whirlwind warned and threatened in this psalm. Instead, we pray, keep us in blamelessness, keep us in purity, keep us in love and servant-heartedness, walking in integrity, pondering with our Lord Jesus Christ the blameless way. And so continuing in your house all the days of our life and forever. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.